You're listening to the Product Podcast by Product School. This talk is effectively going to be about key learnings that I've had over the last two years uh, building products at the intersection of physical, digital, and you know, connecting it all into the physical world. Um, just wanted to start by understanding what the makeup of the audience is. Like, are you guys, uh, how many people from technical backgrounds? Raise of hands. All right. Um, hardware versus software, hardware. All right, awesome. Uh, rest everyone, software. Cool. So then um, this should be interesting. Um, Non-technical backgrounds. Excellent. Um, what, or business? Excellent. Cool. Um, let's start. Um, a little bit about me and why you should be listening to me and why I'm here. Um, I was born in India in the Himalayan ranges, specifically Kashmir. Um, immediately after, a month later, I was moved to the Middle East in Oman where my family settled. Um, that's where I did my schooling. So I did my uh, everything from kindergarten through to high school um, in the um, sort of Oman region. After that, I moved to New Zealand, which is home of the Lord of the Rings. Um, for those who don't know, that's literally what it's like there, if you've seen the movie. Um, um, but that's where I did my bachelor's degree in electrical engineering. Um, after that, I worked as an electrical engineer at an engineering consultancy, um, which was about building design. Um, and I worked on uh, stadiums, offices, um, everything from lighting to power design uh, within those uh, spaces. Uh, my big project was the World Cup Stadium for the Rugby World Cup, which was then later used for the Cricket World Cup, if you're interested in those sports. Um, then I transitioned into management consulting. I think for me that was uh, a big shift because I wanted to understand how the business world worked. Um, and through that process, I went and joined Devante. was a boutique consulting uh, firm in New Zealand um, and had a lot of fun. I think I realized that uh, businesses do operate in, in, in fundamentally different ways than engineers necessarily think about it. It's, it was helpful to go through that process. But what I realized what was missing was um, the human side, um, thinking about your customers. Um, that's what led me to the U.S. Uh, or the New World, or sort of the New World, um, where I went to do my master's degree in product design and innovation in Chicago at the Institute of Design. Um, so I was also practicing as a designer there, just like product school, the, the course format of how we sort of went through design was by actually doing projects, um, many times with actual companies, um, and also interned in, in two fantastic places, one in New York and then in Logitech. Um, that's when I came back after my degree um, to become a product manager at Logitech. Specifically, um, I am looking at their cloud-connected home security cameras. So this is the circle line of products. Um, we went from a single indoor camera to, after I've joined, um, we went and created effectively a platform, um, a hardware platform of products, um, which was indoor, outdoor um, cameras with a modular core so that people can have customization and place them anywhere they want. So enough about that. Um, really we're sort of talking about making hardware. Um, and the truth of the matter is that making hardware is hard. Uh, you know, haha, jokes can come in, but it's, it's the reality of the fact that it's not just because um, 
it's you know necessarily less hard than software, but it's it's got other factors that come into play, like high capital investments that are acquired. You've got long lead times between when you can actually think about wanting to you know design hardware to when it actually ships. Um, so, for example, in the Circle Two, it was at least a 12-month to a 15-month cycle to get the product out and market it and do all the good things associated with that. Um, and then, of course, you're planning far further ahead um, and using components that are available now um, so that by the time you launch and you're ready and you're putting um, the effort and, and energy behind that product, um, you're not necessarily uh, bleeding edge in terms of silicon. And, and so therefore, when you're planning ahead, you have to think far further out in terms of what you might need, what the components are, and how you need to do it. Now, if you add, um, take that hardware and make it connected in this world where it's now suddenly going to be connected to the internet, that becomes a scale um, or a factor harder. Um, and that's because now you're combining hardware with software and you have to have release dates that line up because you can't ship hardware that suddenly doesn't work because you're like, hey, I'm sorry, my app isn't quite ready. Please hold on. Um, everything has to line up um, in some ways. Now, the goal of this was not to deter people here to sort of say, well, you shouldn't do hardware. It's just recognizing that sets you up in a much better place so then you can think about what are the things that you need to do to create connected hardware. Um, the first and most important question, um, it's tempting to go into creating hardware, just like it is for hardware people to go into software. Should you be making a connected hardware device or a connected hardware product? Um, these are some of the questions that have helped answer um, and sort of untangle my thinking over the last few years. It's not necessarily an exhaustive list, but it's some of the most important things that I've found to be helpful. Um, first and foremost, with anything, starting with your user need. Um, and more importantly, starting with who the actual user is. Um, is it a mass consumer? Is it a business that you're serving? Um, are you planning to sell directly to them? Like, who is your actual end user of the product? And are there intermediate users in the, in, in, in the process? The next thing is, what is their actual need? What are you trying to create for them? Um, it's only after you've identified both of these things, and this can take effort and energy and time, that you then get into what the role of the hardware needs to be, what the role of the software needs to be, what the role of the cloud or the connected IoT space needs to be, um, and the handoff between each of these three components. Like, um, what, how much load does the software need to do? How much of the onboarding should be done on the actual app versus on, on the hardware versus what is the role that the cloud plays specifically in that um, process? The next most important thing is, what's your business model? Um, I ask this because it's critical to understand whether you need the hardware to be profitable. Um, specifically, what is the role of the hardware in the model? So for example, I was taking an Uber here. If you've seen uh, an Uber or Lyft, uh, more specifically maybe the Uber, they now have these lights that people stick on um, in the front of the car so that passengers can identify um, and get a better experience in trying to figure out who their Uber driver is. Uber isn't necessarily making money on that light. Um, their business isn't derived from that light. They're, that happens to be an experienced lighter, and that's what they're making. Perhaps a more pertinent example is the Amazon Dash button. Uh, I don't know how many people have used that. 
Um, but you can buy that effectively for $5 and then get it a $5 credit towards whatever you're purchasing. Um, so they don't need to necessarily make money on that piece of hardware um, because they are expecting to sell a lot more services and products through their marketplace. So figuring that out for your own selves, for your own companies, is extremely critical. It's then that you move into how and where the product will be sold. And when I say how, it's, it's about how are you discovering these users? How are the users discovering your product? Um, how is the actual relationship being built between your users and yourself? What is happening in terms of referrals, if any? Um, how, does, how do they pass that message on? Um, and what are you doing to actually sell this product into uh, people? Because um, on the digital side, while you may be able to push a lot of bandwidth um, through SEO and through um, you know, ad marketing, on the physical hardware side, it might be possible, but you might also need to get on the ground and understand that a physical object needs to eventually live somewhere. Um, the next part there is where. This becomes extremely critical because depending on the channel that you're selling into, you have different margins, which again go back to impacting your cost structures and how much money you're making um, on the actual hardware if you need it to be profitable. Um, the actual shipping and fulfillment changes depending on which part, which sort of channel you pick. For example, if you need to ship to a Best Buy, you probably need to figure out how you ship that product from your manufacturing location to a distribution center somewhere locally to a distribution center that Best Buy owns to ultimately retail stores. Versus if this is going to installers um, in the US, you might, again, have that first leg, but instead of shipping directly to a retail store where stocks and things need to be managed, you might be going directly to a distribution center or a, um, a middleman in, uh, that, that is dealing with those installers directly. That, I think, if you can answer some of those key questions, then it moves on to the next phase of what do you actually do? Like, what are some of the key learnings that I've had that I can pass on to you guys around thinking about the product and what the connected hardware space might be in context of the user journey? So I wanted to do it in this context as opposed to tying it to, you know, the product development lifecycle because you'll be able to associate far closely to how users interact with the product and then being able to step back and see what you need to do associated with that. So on the buy side, first and foremost, just what we spoke about as one of the precursor questions was picking the channel of choice, you have to message the product appropriately for the channel. Um, and this is everything, for example, if you're in retail, to recognize that you need to have an eight-foot view as a consumer is walking into the store to identify which section your product lives in, all the way to a two-foot location where you might have some form of um, a display, to finally picking up the package and seeing what the features of the product are, not just on the hardware side, even on the digital side. Um, and this is fundamentally different to if, again, your primary channel is installers, then you have to spend a lot of time training them because they won't be... Um, necessarily, they will be your evangelists. They will be people who are installing the product for you, and they might even upsell for you. Um, and recognizing that in, for example, retail, you're competing with a lot of other people. So 
what your point of differentiation might be is uh, fundamentally different if you were to go into retail versus if you were going going into um, sort of installer networks versus if you were going online on Amazon. How are you thinking about things that live um, above the fold, as we call it, which is basically the first six bullet points on Amazon that you will look at and say, ah, I understand, versus digging down further deep into the product details to understand what the product is about. Understanding your consumer and messaging the product is really, really important for that. This becomes another key aspect. Um, just going back, I think a, a point that I didn't cover is specifically about the purchase drivers not being the same as usage drivers. This is something that may hold true for your products. Um, what I mean by this is that the reason what someone will buy the product for may not align with their end long-term use. Something that we found, for example, on our home security cameras was at the start we were making cameras and we were marketing them as home connection cameras to be able to check in on your dog, um, you know, have those lovely moments with your family um, when, when your kids are home. And we found that while that's exactly what people were using the products for on a day-to-day -day basis, because the number of times you have a burglary are extremely low, but the reason why they end up buying the product or why they can justify their product for themselves is about home security. So the messaging up front needed to change, not necessarily the use cases, but we needed to think about that in the context of how the product was being sold. Um, I alluded to this thing, packaging the product for the channel of sale. Um, this is probably one of the easiest traps to fall into is to design that beautiful packaging um, that you know is remarkable, spend you know hours on designing this amazing unboxing experience, and then your end user or the person that's actually buying the product is an installer who goes like this, throws the package aside, and does his job. Um, you don't need to necessarily have fancy packaging if your product isn't sold into that channel. Again, if you're a B2B product, and you're selling um, a dock or a dongle that connects into someone's uh, business, the IT manager or someone who's actually connecting that product in doesn't care about necessarily the package. It needs to be simple, it needs to be good, and we'll cover that. But it doesn't need to be phenomenal because no one keeps that package, no matter how much we want that to be the case. Like I've spent hours thinking about this and going, oh my god, if only someone kept my package. And it turns out that it doesn't happen. Um, if we move then into the setup phase, as we just spoke about packaging is relevant for the channel of sale, the unboxing experience should drive your user as quickly as possible to the wow moment. Um, and when I say wow moment, it's that first thing in the user journey that the user is actually excited about in the product. Um, it's about having something that is not just about meeting expectations, it's about creating a form of surprise that they weren't even expecting that you could deliver on something like this. Um, an example is that it's also really, really complex to do setup of most products. So if you can simplify this process, make it really easy, people also really appreciate that and feel pride in being able to set up um, products really well. Um, most connected devices take a while to set up. We did something that was interesting in, in, in our camera, which was uh, what we realized was that getting to live view, so being able to connect the camera to your Wi-Fi and seeing the live stream from that camera was that magic moment. So what we did, which was at the 
challenging state for our engineering team was we moved where you actually see the live view to your camera while having a fully secure connection to the camera without actually creating an account. That was a ridiculous challenge, but it makes for such a delightful experience because people are quickly able to get into what they need to do. Our camera requires almost no assembly, so we made sure that everything that you do really, really quickly gets you to that point. And if you can do that with your products or what you're thinking about, it'll really change the game because even though you think that setup should be simple and this is a given fact, it actually isn't. The next big part in the unboxing process is the setup guide. Everyone has seen giant manuals which tell you um, uh, every single detail that you need to know other than the fact that many people don't actually read their setup guides, right? Uh, when was the last time any of you looked at it end to end? Um, it's not saying that there aren't people who do read setup guides, but it's very hard to make sure that you've covered everything on a physical piece of paper that needs to fit within the previously mentioned packaging that you're trying to cut down on cost depending on the channel of sale. So more and more you're, for your connected hardware product, try and get people towards the digital app. You can make changes far quick, far more quickly, um, get people to um, learn from what people are saying on early release of the product and update that, give them better onboarding. If the first step in your setup guide is to give them uh, the ability to download the app. Now, it's not saying that you shouldn't do the rest of the setup guide because you always need to have a fallback and it's just good practice. You would just pick the parts that are relevant. You don't need to include every single detail um, needed. You might include troubleshooting. You might include mechanisms for users to get in touch with you but not necessarily every single detail that they need to do in the app, uh, you know, on the hardware, connecting to, they don't need to know the steps about connecting to Wi-Fi in your physical product. That can happen as part of your app. If it doesn't, then we're failing somewhere. Um, this one is extremely critical. Um, it can be a bit more technical. We all said we're technical people. If not, I'm happy to get into a little bit more detail here. Um, OTA updates stand for over-the-air updates. Um, these are fundamental to any hardware, uh, especially connected hardware. Um, and the reason why I say this, which is that your products, factory firmware, must support um, OTA updates. It's not just for the first usage. It's for over the lifetime usage of the product. Um, it's critical because you may not want to have uh, a sort of waterfall approach to doing your physical and digital product. Otherwise, what you're limited to is you have to finish the entire product, finish the entire firmware, then get it into the factory, get it produced, and only then can you progress with everything else. What this lets you do is finish enough of the firmware that you are checking and making sure that it can update when needed. Uh, but in parallel, you can develop software and, and, and hardware as the rest of the hardware stream goes on. Um, this is a double-edged sword, I won't lie. Um, and why I say this is because it can be very, very convenient, just as I said, to say, great, I don't need to deal with this till much later. Um, but if you go down this path, it's critical that this pathway at every single point be bulletproof. Uh, because there is no coming back from a failed firmware update at the time of setup. Um, your product will basically be, uh, you know, bricked if you don't think through it completely. 
It's thinking about the download speeds. It's thinking about bandwidth that you need. It's thinking about how large your actual firmware size is, whether your physical device can handle two pieces of firmware at the same time while it's updating, and it has a fallback approach. Um, connected implies that the product will improve. Um, if you've made hardware or, you know, for example, a fridge that wasn't connected, and then you suddenly make a fridge that is connected, by definition, what that means for most people is, oh, it can connect to the internet. So just like my app, it'll get updated over time. I, it, will, it will get better. Because that's the expectation that's been set by the digital realm. Um, and as soon as you make hardware connected, the same expectation starts getting applied to people, uh, people's thinkings, even though it's a physical product. Um, so if you're going to go down this path, that's a critical piece to, to understand. And that improvement isn't just about you know, new features. It's even about bug fixes. Um, you know, previously, if you shipped a physical product that was, you know, had firmware on it, like a calculator, et cetera, it might fail at some point, some unknown bug. Your ability to update that was very limited. Now that you've provided this interface to the cloud and to be able to connect to um, the internet, people expect that as they tell you about the bugs, you're keeping track of that and, and updating that in time. Now again, um, this is a, a double-edged sword in the sense that again, it's, it's tied to a firmware update, so the rules from the previous point apply. Each firmware update that you do needs to be bulletproof. Um, if you fail in that, or if you do it too often, you end up having fatigue with firmware, where people are just tired of seeing, okay, I get it, I, I don't want to deal with updates. Um, finally, on the usage side, you have to reach the user wherever they are. And what this is, what this means is specifically that users may want to use a mobile app, which you might make an iOS app. They might have Android devices. They might have an Android TV. They might have a, a desktop. Thinking about this ahead of time, recognizing that if you're going to play in this space, the expectations start growing as to even what platforms and software you support. But beyond this, it's not just about remote use. It's also about the fact that people expect this connected device to start working in the context of their rest of their smart home products or smart devices. You expect to have um, this notion of um, creating simple routines. Like, if I would love to be able to walk in the morning and say, you know, walk out the door and say, hey, I'm leaving home. And everything that I didn't manage to do, turn off the lights, turn off the toaster, start the you know washing machine, start the dishwasher, um, turn my security camera on, lock the door. As soon as you have a connected device, these become expectations of it working across um, other devices in the home, as well as you know if there's a screen component, if there is a visual component, they can control and and view devices from wherever they are. So in our context, what we had to do was we realized that we'd built a mobile, uh, both Android and iOS app, as well as a web app. Um, but with the proliferation of the voice assistants um, and you know Chromecast, uh, other screen devices, people expected to see, why can't I pull up my camera feed using uh, my TV? And you have, to, you, know, you, you have to work through that and support and work, work through those integration channels. This is really where the heavy lifting of the cloud comes in. And this is where working through APIs 
Um, and you know, cloud infrastructure becomes really, really relevant because as you talk to more and more integration partners, you realize that not everyone does everything in the same way that you thought about it. So being able to have connective layers becomes really critical. The last section in the learnings is about support. The first point I'm going to make here is about helping users help themselves. It, it isn't immediately about moving to having a support channel, et cetera. We'll cover that in the next point. But the critical piece here is contextual help is extremely relevant. It's not just during setup. It's even during the course of day-to-day -day usage as the product is being um, used and something goes wrong. Arm the user with what, whatever you can. You have now the ability to possibly have a digital app which many other hardware providers don't have. You, they do have to rely on uh, you know, people contacting them. So you have this tool at your disposal, which is meant for the user benefit, help them self-diagnose. Now, again, recognize most of your users, if your product is a consumer product, and actually even if it is a business product, don't want to spend time troubleshooting. So you have to pick the one or two things they can try very, very quickly to see if the problem fixes itself, and then guide them to the appropriate support channel. Speaking of support channel, this has to be easy and reliable. Um, it, can, it, it doesn't mean you have to have every single channel known to man. If you can't respond to your customers in you know, 30 minutes or 20 minutes, you shouldn't have a chat bot. Um, or a chat mechanism of getting in touch with you. But there are now baseline expectations because of what the world is doing. Of If you have an email channel, you'd expect an auto reply of some kind and saying that I'm setting your expectations and I will get in touch with you within at least the next 24 hours. If you go into chat, there are certain expectations. If you go into uh, phone, there are certain expectations. And you have to recognize that with each channel you add, on the back end, there's probably a case creation mechanism that has to manage. It has to go into a singular flow. It is extremely important. Now, I say all this because this is a critical component to your core product. Many times people think about this as an ancillary experience, as a cost center. Change that mindset. It's been one of the biggest learnings that I've had over the last few years is to think about this not as a cost center, but possibly even an extension of marketing. Think of this as a, a, a clear extension of your marketing campaigns. It's the first time someone is communicating with you. Think about, I don't know how people's experiences have been. When I call up Amazon and I have a problem, sometimes I don't even need to call up. That's the self-service side. But if I ever need to talk to Amazon, my issues get resolved very, very quickly. Versus, I'm sure everyone has had terrible experiences with customer service, which you never want to deal with again. This is a fundamental make or break situation for the products that you make. And uh, to tie into this, I think it's, it's critical that your team, whether it's the engineers, whether it's the marketers, whether it's the strategy people, um, your operations leads, everyone should be involved in at least going through this process at some point. It's, it's fundamental to understanding um, what your customers are thinking about you how they're interacting with you, what their key pain points are. Uh, this literally is the pulse of your product. Um, 
And this should apply not just to a physical product, even to the digital one. Uh, it doesn't matter. So on that note, um, I started this conversation by saying making connected hardware is really hard. Um, but the reality is it can create a fundamentally differentiated offering. Um, when I say differentiated, from a user perspective, it's differentiated because if you were a manufacturer of a fridge that wasn't connected versus someone who is a manufacturer of a fridge that is connected, it's a brand new experience that someone can get into. So there is a clear value proposition for users to be able to buy into a connected product experience. Um, it allows for more longevity of the product because, again, tied to the, that notion of the product improving over time, people start recognizing that, hey, I can keep this for longer. It'll get better as opposed to the thing I bought that's static. Um, and it helps you as a company build better relationships with these people because suddenly you have access to your users in a way that you wouldn't otherwise if it was a, a product that wasn't connected. Um, but even more so, as you're working in this space, um, as I've found it to be, this connected hardware space is extremely hard, but it's also fundamentally rewarding. Um, and I say this because I get to work across not just the physical hardware, but also the digital side. So there are times when I am extremely, um, you know, focused in the, uh, on the app design and the app experience, but I can easily switch over to um, working on the physical product. And for me, at least, the variety is really important. Uh, but it also opens your minds in different ways to think about what you can learn from hardware that applies to software, what you can learn from software that applies to hardware. So with that, that's all I had to say about some of the key learnings of creating product experience in this space.